There we go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I lost a bet. I lost a bet. Well, you gotta be a man of honor. That's so if, if he throws this on, does that make him a chicken nugget? No. <laughs> I lost a bet. Me and Brian went to a, a Nuggets Clippers game, and I lost. That's a beautiful jersey. It's a great jersey. You I, look great in it. He Thank did. you so much. I love the Nuggets. I love Denver. I love everything that they're about. Jokic is a great player, and he should win the MVP. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! What a game for me. This is great. I love it. You feel satisfied? I feel well, amazing. Welcome to Battle Ready. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad. I'm sure Brian cut together some kind of intro where I'm wearing a jersey. We made a bet. Look, my father <laughs> taught me not to bet. I thought it was fun. It was, a, it was a harmless bet. The bet was, essentially, we went to a Denver Nuggets Los Angeles Clippers game last week, and I bet if the Clippers win, he has to do something with the Clippers on it, and if I win, I'll wear a Denver Nuggets jersey. So they took some photos, did a little video. <laughs> so here we are. You were listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my father slash my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to have you here today. It's good to be back. It's, it's uh, good, good to be back. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Not really, though. It's gloomy. But gloomy can be beautiful. It's not that nice outside. <laughs> I want the sun or I want it to rain. All right. I don't want it to not know. <laughs> you hate indecision. I do hate indecision, which is probably why I'm so indecisive at times. Mm-hmm. So it's a cloudy day here in LA. It's a cloudy day here in LA. If you're wondering what the weather was like, is like, and we, there's a lot going on in the world today. Yeah, there is. So a couple of things real quick. Just for our sports fans, the Lakers are in seventh place in the West. Is that right? Seventh? They yeah. won last night. They won they're last still night. in seventh. Still in seventh, which is where they should be. Which means they have to play in if they stay at seventh. What are the Denver Nuggets? We're fourth. Fourth, right behind the Clips. Yep. I think we have like a game between us. Mm. It's Yeah, it's, it's a game, a whole game. It's a whole game. And then, Which means it could actually change in the last week or so. This is the last week, isn't it? Or yeah. is it next week? There's three games left. In the season. Yeah. Right. So it could shift. It could, it could shift. shift. So just saying, the Lakers are where they should be. The Clippers are where they should be. <laughs> Never Nuggets are where they should be. Mm-hmm. And and we're going to get into some more serious things. Yeah. I, I do think that just a little side note, if y'all are always trying to get a little, a little uh, learning lesson out of everything that is meaningless. Okay. Uh, last year, when the Lakers were in first place, LeBron had nothing negative to say about the playoff system. Mm-hmm. And now that they're in seventh place, he's really negative in saying that whoever thought it up should be fired. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many times in life our opinions change when it actually has a direct impact on us rather than when it has a direct impact on other people. I mean, that's so many things <laughs> in life, right? We, we don't care about it until it affects us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that's where empathy is actually developed is when we can finally um, care about something when it's affecting someone else and not us because we can put ourselves in their place. Do you feel like though, we've talked about this a bit before, do you think that we are slightly maybe um, uh, coerced or guilted and shamed into supporting every cause that's going on in the world and that we exhaust our empathy in those situations? Because like, it does feel like there is a new bad thing happening every day. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges is that you really genuinely cannot care equally about everything. So, but obviously it's in our good nature to be human and 
in our in our human nature to be empathetic. I think. I, I so, yeah, that's 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 best for you of us. So I don't want to yeah. I don't want to say that you have to be less empathetic about certain things, but how do we have a lot of empathy and a lot of care, mm-hmm. and voice the important things around the world, but do it the right way? And not only how do we have empathy about more things or all the things that are out there, but how do we stay informed? How do we have knowledgeable empathy? Because right. I think sometimes our empathy runs at 100 miles an hour, and but our, our information or insights running at five miles an hour. And yeah. so we care more than we understand. And it can be dangerous, right? And which is a part of what today's podcast was inspired by. You came to me and you said, we should talk about the situation in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Right. And I, um, I mean, honestly, I was like, wow, this is such a big issue. I don't even know if I know how to engage this conversation, but it's important to at least talk about it. And I think everyone cares about it to some degree. Everyone's talking about it right now. I I, I think I messaged you on Monday and was like, we have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, go do some research. And <laughs> so been listening to podcasts, reading articles, trying to understand a little bit deeper about you know, what is actually going on. And I was listening to a podcast actually uh, yesterday talking about, um, I think it was a BBC uh, journalist in Israel mm-hmm. talking about kind of the local things that created what is now this really intense situation. This most recent conflict. This yeah. most recent conflict, right? Not. Well, I think I want to get into the, his- the history side mm-hmm. of it, the biblical aspect of it, what's been going on for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Middle East, but I think I think this episode will probably have to be in two parts because we're still learning so much about this. At least I am still learning so mm-hmm. much about this. And because we're getting videos and updates and articles and so much is releasing, so we're trying to understand it as much as we can. Yeah. And trying to take it from a different route because I think people would look at it and go, okay, you're a part of Mosaic. You 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 guys are um, followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty common in the U.S. that, that anyone in the, the Christian space sides with Israel, Israel right. and then anyone, everyone else seems to side with Palestine. Yeah, and I just, even just from my own background, um, I've been to Egypt, I've been to Lebanon, I've been to Syria, I've been to Pakistan, um, I have never been to Israel. But you're going. I hope to, yeah. yeah. And, um, but I made it my, my intention to yeah. visit the uh, the nations that are um, Islamic, the nations that oftentimes are overlooked and by Why those traditions. One, I just I'm always drawn to the outsider, to the person furthest away from, let's say, um, Jesus, and you know, and and the and I'm always drawn to people that I feel like maybe Christians don't care about as much, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, I also been to Turkey, so I've been through the whole, you know. Uh, Middle Eastern, Arab, Islamic world. And part of the reason I didn't go to Israel is because at that time, you couldn't have a stamp of Israel to actually travel freely into several of those countries. And so I did not want to have an Israeli stamp in my passport. Right. And um, But I, I'm, I would be fascinated to go to Israel. I mean, I, I, I think it's an extraordinary um, part of the world and its history is, is so rich and it obviously is interconnected to our faith. But um, do you have theological reasons as to why you've stayed away from Israel or why in your or do you want to not go into this? No, no, I, I, 
I don't have theological reasons. I have probably social political reasons because I feel like Christians are always so associated with Israel, almost it seems at times blindly. And and what it does then is it alienates everyone in the Islamic world from having um, a meaningful conversation about Jesus because it ends up becoming political rather than spiritual. Hmm. And so I've been to Lebanon quite a few times and and went to Syria and um, and went to Pakistan and had conversation about Jesus with Muslims. Mm-hmm. And um, and even, frankly, being told in some places, hey, if you mention Jesus or, um, or talk about his divinity, you know, you might be killed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even when I landed in Pakistan on the airplane, there was an announcement while I was landing that proselytizing in Pakistan is... Um, a crime against the government and um, a capital offense. And so I actually experienced some interesting kind of dynamics in different places when I went. But once I was in those countries interacting with people, I met the warmest, kindest, friendliest people anywhere. And being in Damascus, which at that time was considered one of the most dangerous cities in the world, I can tell you when I'd walk the street, all these people would come to me and they'd ask me if I spoke English. And I said, yes. And they right on the spot invite me to their home to have dinner so they could practice their English. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I never met people who were against me or even even against um, the United States on a on a just a, a face-to-face, human-to-human, person-to-person level. And so sometimes I think that people know how to get along. Governments don't know how to get along. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So why where do you want to start? Do you want to start the his, historical context of no, the situation, I, or do you want to talk about kind of the, the, the social political situation that's happening now? Um, I'm not really sure. Maybe we'll go back and give a little context. But I think where I want to start with is uh, today the conversation is about the Palestinians and the Israelis. Right. And whatever else we say or talk about or whatever other questions we ask, um, we both feel incredible empathy for both sides. and Most definitely. And the fact that there are people who are suffering and dying and losing loved ones in Palestine is horrific. And yeah. uh, it breaks our heart. And, um, and there, there needs to be real global concern for the welfare of the Palestinian people. And at the same time, um, I mean, right away, someone sent me a night film of the thousands of bombs, or you know, they're going into Israel. Um, the missiles being launched. Yeah, and yeah. and I think sometimes we don't realize that the people of Israel live under the constant threat of of death, and uh, and so I don't want uh, I want I don't want to eliminate empathy for one just because we have empathy for the other. Right. I want to have I want to express deep empathy for the people of Israel and. Uh, suffering they've experienced and not just yeah. in Israel but on, on a historic and global level yeah. and to realize that, that this is a conflict where there are so many victims on both sides right. and um, and so I'm not entering this podcast, this Battle Ray episode thinking we have the solutions right. or we have the answers but we, we do want to uh, have this conversation, talk about it a little bit and, and maybe just encourage people to um, express a humane response to people on both sides of the issue. Yeah, it, it seems, I was, I was talking to you about mm-hmm. this the other day, and I was like, the people I follow on Instagram, it's very interesting to see 
that most people I follow right now, a lot of my, most of my friends don't go to church. A lot of mm-hmm. friends do, but most of my friends who go to church really aren't posting anything ab- about it. Right. They're, it's mostly my friends who, who really aren't involved. Maybe in a, it would be a different spiritual journey, which is incredible, but it's a process, right? And we're, we're having conversations, and, but most of it would be like anti-Israel. Sentiment, yeah. Sentiment, yeah. yeah. Saying like, you know, the fact that, you know, Israel's, there's, and there, and, and it's a lot of it is like, I'm stumbling over my words, I'm trying to be very careful. So, mm-hmm. um, but a, a lot of it is like, um, very much so like pro, pro-Muslim, pro-Palestine, Israel is a terrorist nation, and the fact that the world's been watching this and not doing anything about it is an act, is an act of genocide and an act of, you know, inhumane, humanity. So, mm-hmm. what do you do when that is the starting point? Right, and then you, you, I'm seeing videos of like what's going on in like New York City, and there's like Palestinians and 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 Israelis or, or Jews um, fighting each other in the streets, and then there's just there's this like upheaval on the local level, on the international level, on the social media level, mm-hmm. where and then I was listening to a podcast talking about like I guess there was a huge social uh, media thing that went viral where there was like young like Muslims like slapping Orthodox Jews on like the the, the subways, and so then it caused a huge upheaval with like with Jewish people in Israel saying mm-hmm. running the streets, going kill Arabs, and then it's and then it's on both sides, right? It's like so right, but then you have even on Twitter the elimination of Donald Trump's voice, yeah. But then you have on Twitter someone posting. Oh, what was her name? Um, a quote from Adolf Hitler, and that person my... to me should be banned um, for inciting. Vina Malik, right? Yeah, yeah, actress. Yeah, yeah. She she Pakistani posted, Indian. She posted this. Should we read it or no? I think you should read it. You should read it. It's very interesting. I mean, she me. posted it. She meant it to be read. I would have killed all the Jews of the world, but I kept some to show the world why I killed them. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Yeah, she has 1.2 million followers on Twitter. Um, and then she deleted it after she's gotten so much hate for it, essentially. Um, so I think it's tough. But yeah. then, but so, then and, you... But, but then, right, no, go. No, I, I just want to say is that, is that, that I, I have a lot of friends who are heavily... Um, the Palestinians are the victims and Israel is are the bad guys. Right. And then I have friends who are... Israel are the good guys, and they're the victims, and the Palestinians and and the Muslims and the Arabic nations are the bad guys. And I'm sitting here watching this happen, going, we can't even have a conversation without demonizing each other. How in the world are the Israelis and the Palestinians ever going to find resolution? Yeah, I think she's a really good example. Her name is Malik. No, no. yeah, Vina oh, yeah. Malik. Yeah, she's a great example because I think that example exists on both sides. Yes, right. Yeah, because there is in no world or way or reality mm-hmm. that tweeting something about genocide like that to that degree is acceptable. Right, it shouldn't right? be. It shouldn't be ever. Yeah. Like on either side, it doesn't matter what what side it is. And and frankly, quoting Adolf Hitler is just a bad idea. It's just bad form. You, yes. You've already started. Uh, from the wrong place, right? And um, and 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 what's so amazing to me is when I think about it, like that we've had years now of conversations about white supremacy, right? And uh, and I think we're clear that white supremacy is unacceptable, unacceptable. And and they would be the ones who would quote Hitler. So if if this extreme right quotes Hitler. It's it's not a good thing, right? But if you're now suddenly extreme left and you're quoting Hitler, 
because of how is that acceptable? Yeah, and, and I think it's we not need, right. Yeah, it's not. And so I think what we need to realize is, um, well, first of all, if you're an extremist on either end, if you think like that one side that it's, it should be lose lose or lose win or win lose, right? Um, I don't know if you can add or contribute to this con- conversation. I think we have to see the Palestinians as as human beings who are in, in a tragic situation who desperately need help. Mm. We, need, we need to see the Israelis as true human beings who are in a desperate situation right. who desperately need help. And right. we need to realize that this conflict goes back thousands of years, and at the very least hundreds, if very least decades, <laughs> yeah. and that there's so much going on here. Presidents have tried to solve this problem, and they've not been able to solve this problem. You know, I mean, Camp David became famous for its, you know, uh, the Camp David Accords trying to resolve some of the conflicts in the Middle East. And and the reality is that the, the best minds and the most powerful people in the world have tried to bring peace to the Middle East and have failed. And, and so just some level of common sense would say this issue isn't as simple and as black and white as... Um, people want to make it to be. I mean, this is probably one of the most complicated situations in in the world, yeah. in, in our history, right? Yeah. Like how, how can two people groups hate each other so much mm-hmm. on such a, and we were, I was talking about this with, with one of our friends last night, we were in mm-hmm. your kitchen and you were, you were, you were, you were, you were doing essentially the first version of this, <laughs> of what we're trying to do now, <laughs> talking about how this has gone back to like a, a historical date, right? That this isn't two nations, this is two tribes. Of it goes people. all the way back to Jacob and Esau, all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. You right. know, it goes back to the conflicts between brothers and cousins and family. And you realize that that even this though they have thousands of years yeah. of hate. Yes, and, and whether they recognize it or not, Arabs and Israelis are family. This is actually a family conflict that, and those are the hardest ones to uh, fix. And ironically, uh, when I used to work in more intense communities all the time, the police would tell me the most dangerous response for them was domestic violence. The most dangerous response for them was when they were walking into a house. And, and I, I actually think that the Middle East is actually like domestic violence. It is family fighting against family. It's brother against brother, cousin against cousin. And, um, and it, it and it becomes incredibly difficult. I, I I did want to like highlight a few things that for me like inform me and remind me of what's going on because when um, when you think about the way we we process other um, cultural conflicts or issues, like um, I think we're now aware if you look at New Zealand the way that they've. Um, gone back and recognized the uh, abuse and the violation toward the Maori and how the Maori were mistreated and uh, by uh, and and displaced and then um, in Australia with the ab- Aboriginals realizing that there was an indigenous people there that was dis- were displaced and mistreated and um, and alienated um, and then we look here in the United States with the the, the um, Native Americans, you know, and the historical living we've called Indians, but you know, and uh, um, of which I'm 25 percent, and um, and the displacement of Native Americans and and the atrocities and the injustices. I think sometimes we forget that Israel is a nation of refugees. 
Like we, we are in a time where we have a heightened awareness and um, empathy for refugees. Right. I mean, Kim and I have been to the Syrian-Lebanese border several times working with the millions of uh, refugees that are there. And, um, and when, you, when you see the, you know, the circumstance of refugees, it just heightens your empathy. Uh, we've had over 100, 150 Muslims in our home at one time because there were refugees from Syria dominantly and other uh, Middle Eastern countries. Um, and you know, as a family, we've become a haven for refugees uh, who are overwhelmingly Muslim. And, um, and, and so I'm saying this in this context, we need to realize that the nation of Israel is a nation of refugees. That when the nation of Israel was established in 1948, hundreds of thousands of of Jews who had been oppressed and and um, and alienated and marginalized for the first time in modern history had a place called home, mm-hmm. and and so I, I hope we never forget that the 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 history of Israel, the mm-hmm. Israeli story, is a story of alienated, oppressed uh, people, the the victims of the Holocaust, and and that Israel became for them their first hope of having a home. And, and so that for me creates a, an empathy that I don't ever want to lose, it, you know, and that, the, that this is a nation of refugees. At the same time, when it's, it's so amazing. Was that smart, though? What? To put, look, I, I'm, I'm going to speak very candidly, and I, mm-hmm. I'm going to offend everyone, and then I want to hopefully offend no one because I'm just asking questions. All right. Obviously, the Holocaust happens, it, right? Right. And then the project of the Holocaust was establishing Israel as a nation in the Middle East mm-hmm. in, a, in a territory that was being continuously fought over for thousands of years, right? right? Even between Muslim nations. Mm-hmm. Was it wise to put Israel where Israel is now? Well, I mean, years ago, I heard a Jewish comedian saying this was not the smartest thing to do to put us in the middle of... A bunch of regional world where you know people do not want them to be, but I think you have to remember you have to go back. Like if you go back in time, uh, it wasn't until around the seventh century that that the Middle East became Muslim. Uh, So that territory was Jewish. It was Israel, and so it was Israel before it was an Arab um, uh, part of the Arab Empire. And then, you know, it goes back and forth with the Crusades around, I think, the 13th century. Um, it became solidified as a, as a Muslim territory. And, um, and that remained so for then for, sen- you know, for hundreds of years. And, and then after World War I, then World War II, when, when they divided the land up and put Israel there, you know, on a global scale, they were they were giving Israel back the land that they had lost, and and unfortunately, when there's war, there's always a redistribution of land and things like that. But um, what was odd to me, though, is that no one really considered what displacing the Palestinian people would do. Would do, and and that's why I'm going. Okay, the Israeli people clearly were not the the violators they were victims who were given a home the palestinian people did nothing wrong like they 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 were in that moment in that moment yeah 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 right 
And then suddenly they're alienated and they're, what was their home is no longer their home. Being displaced and yeah. pushed into, yeah. And so you can go back and go, yeah, but you know, in the 600s, that was all Israeli land. But in the, you know, in 1940, those people, they don't have the memory of, this, of 650 AD, right. you know? And, and if you could just give an equivalent, imagine someone coming to your house that you paid for your home and telling you, uh, this is no longer yours, not for anything right. you did wrong, but governments have made a decision and that your house now belongs to someone else. Right. And, and, and I think we need to realize that, that since 1948, there's always been the environment for, for hostility, for tension, for violence. And, uh, and, and then when you add on top of that, the, the theological tension and um, because there really are no Islamic democracies. Like Islam doesn't really fundamentally work from a, a democratic mindset. Right. And, and there isn't room for Judaism inside of, of an Islamic um, worldview, really. It becomes a part of essentially the, the linchpin, right, in all of it, that, that there will be no happiness without the eradication of one or the other. That's, in the other's mind. In their, in their minds, yeah. And so right. that, that's why it's hard to have diplomatic solutions when neither think the other should exist, and especially in that territory. And, and, and then for Israel, um, they, I don't think, have a, a universe in which Israel can be Jewish and Muslim. Right. You, you know, and, right. and so the, the theology, the belief systems actually affect the politics. And so they're all fighting over the same piece of land. And then you add Jerusalem, that's a, a sacred city to Jews and Christians and Muslims and Baha'i and other religions. Right. And, um, and they're fighting over this, quote, holy ground. So right? can I ask really cynical questions? So is it still a holy land when people are killing other people over it? That's a really profound question. Because you have this idea, right, that, that there's there's multiple religions, multiple people groups that are fighting over essentially a rock. And I'm not trying to belittle the Holy Land. I'm saying if, if you were to fighting over one space, right, mm-hmm. one one one. Uh, I'm trying not to piece of land, one piece of land. Yeah, right. And so it becomes a. It's almost this very basic human. I don't, I don't even know, like characteristic or attribute or test of time to go. If you if you give everyone one thing that is sacred, will they all kill each other to get it? Yeah, you you actually yesterday said to me, this is really Solomon's test. Yes, and I didn't know what you meant at first. Yeah, they said, you know, when the the two women who said they were the mothers and the baby, and Solomon said, let's cut the baby in half, and the one mother said yes. Right. But the real mother said no because she's going to. She'd rather give up her baby and let her live, than let her die. Yeah, and I thought, and you said, this isn't this the case with Jerusalem? It's like whoever truly thinks it's sacred wouldn't be killing someone else for it. Right. And I thought that's a really profound thought. It, it feels like two people groups who refuse to trust in God to give it to them. Right. And I asked you, I and, and we were having a conversation of like. Say, because I, I come from the, the the Christian side, or like, or the Jesus side of things, but also you have the Old Testament, the New Testament. So, 
if there were even if there were orders, even if even if my heritage believed that there were orders from God to take this holy land and to defend it with their life and then to 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 take over the tribes and destroy their enemies and XYZ would I still believe the same thing thousands of years later after so many people have died? Would I go, is it worth it anymore? Mm-hmm. And not that does God's word devalues over time, but the question I asked was, do you think God spoke in that time and they never heard it, mm. right? Or do you think that they're misunderstanding something that happened thousands of years ago and holding onto a grudge that has developed over so many lives being lost over it? Ironically, I think this is one of the dangers of religion, Right, that rituals or things become a higher value than people. Mm. Like, in, uh, There should be no universe in which a religion says you can kill people of another religion to take what you want yeah, or because they disagree with you. Right. And um, in history, when Christians killed other people, it was wrong. In history, when Jews killed other people, it was wrong. And when in history, when Muslims killed other people, it was wrong. Uh, when you're killing other people to take what you want, from my vantage point, it's always wrong. And 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 well, even there's tons of verses where God says, "Go and take this people group, go and drive them out of this land." Yes, and I and that's a much longer conversation, but I think that and that was one of my struggles in actually becoming right. no, a person yeah. of faith. Yeah, and and putting my trust in Jesus was coming to a coherent understanding of what happened in history. And I think we have to remember that humans are a species of war. Now, God did not invent war in that sense. Uh, in the human uh, arena, God was stepping into the reality of of our violence and our war. So is there and, like a quick summary you could do of why that why that maybe has changed over time or why that shouldn't hold valid thousands of years later? Obviously f- for us, I think Jesus comes into the story and this idea of love your neighbor, love your enemies, mm-hmm. treat everyone with kindness and love. Right, when you, when you look at the history in the Old Testament, the Hebraic scriptures, the purpose for the establishment of Israel wasn't for God to have a nation that he chose above all the other nations. The exclusivity story of Israel is a wrong understanding of the Bible. Hmm. Israel was not chosen apart from other nations to be God's only people. The Bible actually teaches that Israel was chosen so that all the nations would know they're chosen. Does the Old Testament teach this or the New Testament teaches this? Old Testament teaches this. Old Testament teaches this. So, okay. That, That... God wanted Israel to be a light to all the nations. Mm. That, that God, it, it, it's sort of like if um, 50 people are drowning and you say, well, I don't want to be unfair, so I'm not going to save anyone first. <laughs> right. And no, if you want to save 50 people who are drowning, you have to choose one person to, go and get to, to save. Yeah. And ironically, oh, to save. Yes. Um, in, in, in interesting, in, like in, in a lot of like survivalist theory, People who don't understand how to save people save the weakest people first. Hmm. But actually, if you want to save the most people, you save the strongest people first. And then you position the strongest people to help you save other people. Hmm. And interestingly enough, when you save the strongest people, the weakest people actually start getting stronger. Hmm. And when you look at the, the, the scriptures, you're looking at going, I never come to believe that God, quote, saved me because he preferred me over someone else. I think that God, in a sense, saves me from drowning 
so that I can have the moral obligation to save as many people as I can with my life. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal metaphor and explanation of this situation. It's incredible. And I think somewhere along the way, regardless of the, the, the geopolitical issues from a spiritual or theological perspective, um, certainly Israel forgot that it was here to be a light to all the nations. Mm. And, and then you look at it now, it, I don't even know that conversation's valid. Uh, almost 50% of, of Israelites would consider themselves to be secular. And, yeah. and so it, it's a lot of times Christians that are projecting the spiritual narrative into Israel rather than necessarily Israel carrying that spiritual narrative. Right. Israel sees itself as a nation, not right. as a religion. Right. But you brought in like the more recent situation and, 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 and frankly, people have been asking me, and I've been really reticent to, to have a conversation about it because I'm aware how little I know or understand or can fix. Because it is so complex, and oftentimes it feels like it originates in something that is so important but so small mm-hmm. and then blows up to 1,000 missiles being launched overnight and then 1,000 missiles being launched back to defend itself Mm -hmm. and then i know that it's and i think some people would hear that and go well israel does this and then you're like no but palestine does this and then it becomes an eye for an eye and we were talking about it last night it was like israel has been a nation that when it's an eye for an eye it's an eye for a body and it's Mm -hmm. and it's become a a wildly destructive solution to to on both ends right because i'm 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 i've become if anything pro to, to not to not being pro either I'm going, there has to be a more human solution to something that is so violently destructive. And I was saying this, mm-hmm. I called you and I said, how is it that we can put drug dealers in prison for selling something that is now legal, weed, but we can't find the person who gave either nation a thousand missiles? Well, it was probably us that gave one side and then probably some other people who gave the others. Mm-hmm. But there's no ramification for for putting weapons of mass destruction whether it's nuclear or a missile or a bullet into hands of people who are vehemently irresponsible with weapons and things that they use say to protect themselves to destroy other people yeah right yeah i think one of the things because uh, one of the things we try to do with ballot ready is to give people language to have more um constructive conversations healthier conversations and to look at it from a different perspective yeah. right i think <clears throat> we're not I say that because I, I, I do think that a huge a huge thing with Bad Ready is to, to not pick one side or the other, to try to find the truth between both yeah. and to go, we have to look at this from a human perspective. Right. So here's what I would say to all the Christians listening who are um, pro-Israel. Yes. Make sure when you're pro-Israel and you're communicating your beliefs, your convictions, I'm not saying you shouldn't have them. Make sure that you include in your conversation empathy and concern for the victims on the Palestinian side. Mm. And don't create a blanket declaration of wrong on one side or the other. Mm. Um, Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to the tragedy. Pay attention to the suffering of the Palestinian people. Make sure that you advocate and fight for the human rights of the Palestinian people as well. Mm-hmm. Even if you hold a pro-Israel position, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it should eliminate from you 
a deep concern as a follower of Jesus for the Palestinian people. And I think that as whatever religion you you or spiritual journey you are on or associate with, we have to, I think it's a huge miss that people who follow Jesus aren't more vocal about what's going on on the Palestinian side. Yeah. Like, because whether, and obviously there's so much heaviness on both, right? But it's like, just don't pick the obvious stance. You have to find the deeper story in it. I love that. And people forget there are actually Palestinian Christians there too. And there are actually Christians in Palestine who are suffering and and are victims of this um, conflict. And and then if you're a person who is a pro-Palestinian and you are absolutely certain that the Palestinians are right. The Israel, the Israel is completely in the wrong. Yeah. I'm just going to encourage you to take a moment and step back and remember that the Israelites are a people or a refuge. They were refugees. They were displaced. They have been uh, the victims of some of the most horrific acts of violence and uh, atrocities that modern history has ever known. Yeah. And any conversation that forgets the deep wounding and scars of the Israeli people I think is an inadequate conversation about how to resolve this conflict. And can we kind of wrap it up with this this one question? Because I don't know if we I got you to give me. Are we good? Are you good? Yeah, no, I was looking at the time. I think we we got three three more minutes. But also, I wanted to ask them if they had some questions they thought maybe we should address. But go ahead. Okay. Um, Is the land is the holy land still holy? Can you call a land? that is covered in blood, still holy? I think we just should let that question sit a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I tend to believe that God is less interested in geography than he is interested in humanity. Mm. And that um, what should be our focus is not making the holy land holy, but we should be making uh, humans humane mm. and and so I, I think talking about Jerusalem as the holy land uh, is is a declaration of its historical value and significance but it certainly is not a fair description of its story in regard to the treatment of each other as people and you know one of the things I, I noticed in terms of like, you know, can you have a civilized war? You know, and I was thinking today how in a civilized war, you have soldiers going to war against soldiers, soldiers killing soldiers, and, uh, you know, how killing can ever be civilized. But I'm just, if you just right. go with me for a moment. Right. In a civilized war, soldiers go to war and they know they're going to war against other soldiers. In an uncivilized war, soldiers kill civilians, hmm. and soldiers kill civilians. And when that war becomes so inhumane that it loses its moral compass completely, women and children become the targets of violence and hostility. Mm-hmm. And what really concerns me is when we can't see the difference. A retaliation or an action from um, governments against other uh, political or military forces 
that's one conversation you have to have. But when you attack civilians in retribution or in an attempt to advance your cause, that to me is an inhumanity that's intolerable. And, um, and, and that's where we have to like be involved on a global scale. Mm. And there, you know, when, when Germany was led by Hitler, he went to war against Russia and he went to war yeah. against England. He went to war against France and Poland. And, and, and it's interesting in the in history of, of, of man, uh, history of mankind or humankind, we know nations go to war against nations. But what, what, what leaves us almost with a, a historic like scar is when we go, but the 40 million Jews Yes, you know, but but the like, but the but the but the women and children were massacred. Who were massacred? Who never raised a weapon? Who never, who never warred against your ideology? We we have a sense there's an inhumanity to that it's that I I can only describe as evil. And and I and I think this is where. There are people who are really concerned about human rights on both ends at a deep level. And we have to never be silent for any defenseless human in, uh, in any one of these conflicts. And, um, you know, I, I've thought I'm going to have some conversations with some uh, Palestinian leaders and some Muslim leaders and some Jewish leaders and, and maybe think through some of the nuances of this more. Yeah, and so maybe we could actually have a follow up about ready in the future. Yeah, no, I think it'd be really. I mean, I mean, you know, we're talking about this from our own perspective and from our our understanding and our brief understanding. I mean, yours so much more in depth, but I, of the I think the historical context, but I think of what's unwrapping now. It's day to day and it's continual. So I think it'd be great uh, or continuous, and I, I think it'd be great to have a conversation next week or, or soon where we can pull in some voices and ask some questions. Yeah, my main goal for this battle ready and uh frankly you pulled me into this one you're the, you're the one that wanted to have this conversation I think it's good and i think my main goal is one we should all be praying for peace in the middle east and mm. um we should be praying for the safety the security of both the people of israel and the palestinian people mm. we should be praying that the leadership would emerge that has the kind of wisdom that can bring a resolution and bring peace mm. um, to this region of the world. Right. And then we should um, be careful in our language to dehumanize either side mm. and, uh, and make sure that we do not allow ourselves to be dragged down by the lowest level of thinking mm -hmm. where we create um, an enemy that's no longer we're no longer able to see as a human being. Mm -hmm. And let's let's start there. Let's start there. And so I'm going to be praying for peace in Israel. I'm going to be praying for peace and uh, for the Palestinian people. Uh, but beyond that, I think that the Middle East is is so volatile, and and we need to be praying that some spiritual. I think this is. I, I do think at the core of it all, it is spiritual. Mm. And we pray that there is a spiritual revolution throughout all the Middle East where, where um, peace can reign, where, where people can 
see themselves in a place where they can be at peace with people who disagree with them, mm. where people can have different beliefs, different you know ideologies, different religions, and live at peace with each other side by side. Yeah, it's so good. We're going to wrap it up right there. I just want to say thank you for listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. Every single person who rates and reviews this podcast on iTunes, we are so grateful for you. Um, if you haven't yet, please do rate and review this. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know you're listening. Uh, thank you for everyone who listens and watches on YouTube. And and uh, it's so good to be able to have these conversations together. I think they're really important, and I'm really looking forward to the future of, w- of what we're doing. And thank you for every person who supports this podcast on Anchor. Um, people uh, sponsor this podcast and it's pretty mm. cool. We, I think we have 140 people who give each month um, from 99 cents to 9.99, and it's really, really special. So um, I love you, Dad, and I'm grateful we get to have these conversations. We'll see you next Friday. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.